0: setting the tone in your retrospective. the show we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, I have a really bad head cold, and with me today as always are Lauren.
1: Hello, I gave her the really
0: bad head cold. And Daniel. Hey! Today we'll be discussing season 8 episode 12, which tells the river in Egypt. The episode aired on January 17th, 2002. Lauren was going in the
1: week 21 years ago. Nothing really, so we'll borrow one from next week. Over in the NFL, the AFC Championship game ends in controversial fashion after a late fourth-quarter fumble by New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady is ruled an incomplete pass based on an obscure rule introduced two seasons prior. The Patriots would go on to win the game in overtime, 16-13. to The tuck rule, as it was known, was abolished in 2013. Guys, I read that, but none of it meant anything to me. Daniel, explain. I don't know. I don't need it to be explained. I don't yeah, care. I don't,
2: I don't know that anyone is has ever successfully explained the tuck rule, but basically Tom Brady, uh, this is the beginning of Tom Brady TM. Like uh, as of like a few weeks before this, no one had ever heard of Tom Brady. Like Tom Brady was a late round draft pick. Like he was not, I think he was the Patriots third string quarterback. No, is, this say, is, this,
0: is this the season he took over for Drew Bledsoe?
2: Yeah, so Drew Bledsoe who had been the starter for the Patriots for like the last 5 years prior to this um gets injured in a game against the Jets, I believe. He get, he got hit so hard that he like tore part of his spleen or something. Like Ugh. he Yeah, he he took a really bad hit and so uh Tom Brady had to step in and then like they go either undefeated or close to undefeated the rest of the season and Then Bledsoe comes back for a little bit in the playoffs, and it's it's it's, a little bit of back and forth. Like there's still kind of a little bit of a quarterback controversy. Of course, it won't matter by the end of the season. They'll win the Super Bowl, and they will declare Tom Brady queen of New England or (laughs) queen king (laughs) of New England, uh, king of New England, uh, for the next almost two decades. Basically, like he will be there for he just retired. Like as we're recording this, like last week, and that was um. You know from tampa bay after he moved on so it's just weird to think that like this is the beginning of this is when people were first he was the plucky upstart underdog at this point and not the guy who was like the fucking thanos of the nfl
1: (laughs) I should have just kept reading, uh, Orange County, the comedy movie that Daniel really wants Lizzie to watch, and starring Jack Black and Colin Hanks, makes its debut. However, the one ring rules them all one last time as Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, claims the box office crown for its fourth and final week. And Nickelback still arguably sucks, but their song How You Remind Me is the number one song for a second week. Daniel, what else was on?
2: At 8 p.m., friends with the episode The One Where Chandler Takes a Bath. At 8.30, we got a Will & Grace rerun. They still haven't found anything good to put in that slot. Uh, 9 p.m., Will & Grace with the new episode Grace in the Hole. And at 9.30, Just Shoot Me with Nina Van Grandma. This week's episode had 26.1 million viewers tuning in, directed by Jesus Trevino, doing his one and only episode as a director. Uh, other series that he directed for include Prison Break, Law & Order Criminal Intent, and Third Watch, which I imagine is how he got the job on this. Uh, and written by David Zabel, doing his just his third out of 44. Previous ones of his from the season included Four Corners and Quo Vadis. And no Luca this week.
1: All right. And we start off with our previously on by Mark. And Abby wakes up to hear Brian and Joyce arguing through the wall about her being on the phone. And we hear the awful, awful sounds of domestic violence and her screaming for help.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of domestic violence talk in this one. Yes, yeah, so. tr- trigger warning <laughs> off the top. Forgot to put that in the content as a content warning. But yeah, super, super, super fun. Um, We go over to Mark. Mark wakes up to find Rachel watching TV in the middle of the night and eating potato chips and peanut butter. I'd try it. I'm pretty sure this is where whoever makes Reese's got the idea for the potato chip big cups. Okay, that's actually
1: <laughs> not bad. That's like the one kind of Reese's I will actually eat. That and Reese's pieces.
0: Um, But she's watching Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Uh, Mark sees Rachel's boots caked in mud and she, went, she says she went out for a walk at 3am and they get into a fight, and she slams the door and wakes Ella up, and also threatens to move back to St. Louis.
1: I also want to note, this is almost a cute moment between Mark and Rachel until he sees her fucking shoes.
2: Almost. Yeah, kind of ruins it a little bit. And the uh, just a weird trivia note, uh, the movie they're watching, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the sequel to that movie, Return of the Killer Tomatoes, was one of George Clooney's first on-screen roles.
1: Oh. Uh, ER movie, let's
2: go. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Who says No. <laughs> Lizzie, apparently. (laughs) Lizzie, apparently. Uh, We then go and we see the cops are at Abby's building. They uh, filed her complaint uh, about the domestic violence, but Joyce denied that she was being beaten during the argument. And the husband is like, oh, you must be a really light sleeper. Mm. Big fuckboy energy there. Uh, That takes us into the intro with bangs. We come out with Carter coming into the kitchen while his mom is making some tea. And she offers to make him breakfast. And he's like, you're going to (laughs) cook? And she's like, don't waste it. Like, just (laughs) take advantage. And then uh, starts uh, probing him, asks if he's uh, spoken to dad recently and tries to get info on where he might be staying or his phone number. And uh, then mom, weirdly wanting Carter to play the kind of uh, go-between between between them, is uh, saying, I was hoping you could call him for me. Yeesh and I love Carter's response here. You or better yet, the three of us could dip ourselves in a vat of acid. So it's going great with Mama Carter. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: And Abby's out to get her mail. Joyce apologizes for them being loud. Um, Abby confronts her, you know, she was yelling for help earlier, and she said, and Joyce says there's a lot of history and a lot of passion. Oof. Okay. And she limps down the stairs and
1: Abby asks to look at her ankle, which Joyce was like, no, that's, that's fine. So I want to note here because I feel like the language is going to be really tempting for us to veer into victim blaming. And like, I want to. Oh, re- yeah, I, I just I'm just saying, like, because we're going to go, oh, Joyce or whatever, like through this storyline, we are not. We are not mad at Joyce. We do not blame Joyce. We understand it is a complex issue to disentangle yourself from that, Mm -hmm. both emotionally and literally. So just please, when we're saying these things, take it with a grain of salt that we more mean the writing and how unfortunate the storyline is and not blaming Joyce for the circumstance. I just want to put it out there because I know off mic we've had a lot of thoughts about this storyline. And I just want to make it abundantly clear (laughs) <laughs> if you're suffering domestic violence, please get help. It is never the victim's fault. With that being said, we're going to roll our eyes at Joyce and Brian because just this story could be better. It does nothing. Sorry, I just wanted to get that soapbox out of the way first and foremost. Uh, But then we go over to uh, Susan and Carter. Speaking of things that Daniel wants to roll his eyes at, Susan and Carter are talking about his mom and car's like nah she's tough she'll be fine and susan responds nobody's tough when the, nobody's tough when their life's falling apart which is kind of sage wisdom like everybody's gonna have a rough patch at some point hey me and susan calls gallant a teacher's pet and they all joke that he's sucking up and maybe hooking up with weaver and that's why she's dragging him around everywhere and a 42 year old inmate comes in with stab wounds
2: I did, I did um, like, the little bit of hazing on Galant there. Just, this just light, light hazing, you know? Yeah, like, oh, it's Michael now. Like, just very, you know, harmless hazing. That's the good kind of hazing.
0: And we have another eye storyline. Again, based on the writing, not based on... Yeah. Daniel, uh, what would you say about this, the writing about the writing it, with this one? It
2: just, like, it, it's it's very clumsy, and it is written in the classic style of a uh, white person writing black people. Like, yeah. this is this is how a white person thinks black people talk, how, a bla- how black people interact. Like, this is just so tone deaf on so many levels. And, like, it really – spoilers for the end of the episode. Like, it, it kind of ruins this episode because it is so omnipresent. Like, it is such a, like – this is I, – I don't know if I would say this is the A plot of this storyline, but it, of this uh, episode. But it's, like – if it's not A, it's 1A. Like yeah. It's, it's yeah. up there as the the primary storyline of this episode. And as a result, it really drags the whole thing down because it's so fucking silly.
0: Yeah, but it's a rapper named uh, David Zachary, a.k.a. Diamond. Yep. Mm-hmm. He was in a brawl at an after-hours hip-hop club and his junk hurts. Good for him. Uh, a girl comes in with a split lip and she says Diamond got signed to a major label a month ago.
2: Mm. And Diamond here is played by actor Jared Crawford, who appeared in stuff like Angel, Desperate Housewives, and Grey's Anatomy, the unholy trinity of things I'm never going to watch. Anyway, I'll bite my tongue.
0: Yeah, I
1: was about to say something too, but I'm determined the list will not be affected until I catch up. Uh, Sandy has called the ER for Carrie, and Frank lets Carrie know, leading to Chuni and Malik talking about how she's the hot gay firefighter. And she said she'd stop in before her shift to see Carrie. And Frank asks Abby if she's okay, says she looks tired, and she already has two different orders for patients before she's even changed in the lounge and clocked in, which I think is illegal. She shouldn't be like, until she's actually clocked in, they should not be telling her patient orders. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, The inmate is actually brought in earlier. um, We just hear a note of him on the... Uh, radio about him, but here he actually arrives in the ambulance and I need to note here whose films are those and he does not want drugs. And his this his name is uh Mr. Kinney, I believe. Yeah. I know I have it later in the episode, but
2: Yeah, they keep that like at first I thought his name was Kinney. Like, I did too, yeah. Like his first name, but then I guess I realized later that it was the the guy's last name. For for this point in the episode, for this point in the notes, I just had him written down as inmate and guard because he's brought yeah. in with a guard too. Um, our inmate is played by actor Cyril O'Reilly who appeared in stuff like Porky's, Airplane, and Dance of the Damned. And the guard that's with him, who will factor in later, he's played by actor Jeff Mead, and he appeared in stuff like Little Miss Sunshine, Fast Five, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and apparently was also in uh, Season 3, Episode 6, as a different character. Uh, That was, if you're keeping score at home, that was the uh, episode just before Union Station, where uh, Mark and Susan have their little helicopter adventure uh, out to the rural rural Illinois area um but yeah so apparently he was in that episode as well this episode also feels or this storyline also feels like a little bit um copy and pasty like I I feel like we've been here before like the with the inmate with the abusive guard like I feel like this is a little bit copy and pasty I,
1: I would say I do too but we know my memory can't be trusted for what we have or haven't watched yet so
2: yeah it just, you know, it just didn't feel original or, and the, and I'm sorry to say, but the inmate in this episode is not particularly compelling. Like he, he doesn't really like make you feel it, a ton of things. It like, just
1: feels like a lot of the stuff in this episode doesn't have a lot of soul.
2: Right. Yes. Very surface level, very surface level. Um, but in any event, we find out that, uh, David needs a, uh, that's our, that's diamond. If you're keeping track at home, needs a catheter, Uh, He says, no, that he can pee in a cup by himself, which uh, if faced with the possibility of needing a catheter, I would 100% say the same thing. No, thank you. Don't go putting a tube in there.
0: Unpleasant.
2: Uh, Abby can't find fentanyl for the uh, inmate, and uh, she's kind of going back and forth between the two trauma rooms. Uh, We overhear that David has cloudy urine, so they're going to have to do some more tests on him. We overhear that Carter's dad is headed to New Orleans, which seems to come as a surprise to Carter. And Gallant is advocating for a patient to get a CT. Carrie says it's not necessary. Uh, Carrie's a little distracted, calls Sandy to try to get her not to come in. And we also get to see a little bit of a brief glimpse with Chen and Romano.
1: Which, good thing uh, Lizzie was with me because I had my head down typing. I only saw Romano. I missed that Chen was with him. So I almost missed that.
2: You're almost as distracted as we were
1: yep
0: exactly uh but diamond's friend has shown up uh his name is Cece, or yeah that's they call to? him Cece. Yeah. yeah okay uh carter lets him know that his scans look good but diamond has chlamydia <laughs> and with the lovely with the lovely line you get that from nasty booty right
1: <laughs>
2: oh god oh boy
0: uh aisha is clean but it sounds like she might be cheating um and this friend looks super, super nervous about I it. I
2: just, I just, I just want everyone listening to go go to Google right now and type in David Zabel, who, if you'll remember from the top, is the writer of this episode. Google that man and find a picture of him, and then picture that man writing the the line you get that from "Nasty Booty," right? Like, <laughs> just picture that guy writing that line. Like, that really drives home the like stupidity of this episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. I we just looked it up. Yeah, no.
1: It like, gets worse the more pictures you look at.
2: My man, my man looks like an accountant for a tire shop. And he's uh oh, just
1: Oh, no, it gets worse because he he won a uh I don't know what this prize is, but he won a prize for his writing on ER.
2: And I'm sure he wrote some phenomenal episodes. Like I said, we're still very early in his tenure on the show. This is only his third episode, but I I gotta be honest, my dude, your track record's not great. You wrote Four Corners, which is a gimmick, rap- it's an episode wrapped in a gimmick, Quo Vadis, which was, you know, decent, but nothing to write home about, and this one, which is kind of a stinker. And so it's just like, you're, you're kind of, you're one, maybe one for three on your first outings. It's not oh, great. Oh,
1: goodness. Um... But yeah, I like here how they set up. I just want to mention this, how they set up that we think, oh, it means Aisha and the friend are cheating with each other. Mm-hmm. And oh boy, that's not the plot twist. Yeah. Um sure. feels but, like the twi-
2: feels like the uh the linchpin of the twist that they wrote the entire episode around. Yep. Like, ooh, wouldn't that be saucy?
1: Yep. And then uh Carter asks Abby if she's okay because she looks tired. <laughs> I love this. She goes she goes, Yep, I was up all night slapping Frank's ass raw and uh She's like, ask him if he can sit down.
2: (laughs) I I do like... I like the ongoing bit that Frank keeps getting used in the, like, war between Abby and Carter.
1: Yeah. Um, And then we learn that Aisha fainted when they went to sew up her lips, so they need to, like, get her sorted out. And Romano has called for Weaver and says, "Leave, leave your personal life at home and get to his office pronto, delivered by Frank. And Carrie mentions to Carter that Chen is here, asks if, like, he's talked to her, if he knows what's going on. And Cece asks Carter if he can get a chlamydia test as well. So Carter has a new chart drawn up for him so they can get that test going.
2: I love Carter's like, he's like, oh, yeah, no, you don't need to worry about it. He's like, you only get that from like sexual contact. And then he's like, like gives him kind of the look. And Carter's like, okay, Okay. right. right,
1: (laughs) he's like, I know.
0: (laughs) But uh, Lizzie and Mark are out in the ambulance bay. Mark had a hold of Jen. Uh, talking about potentially Rachel moving back, but Jen wants to think about it
1: uh, I would too I wouldn't want her back
0: yeah Lizzie says they should consider boarding school
1: yeah yeah and I love how he goes, well it's different you're British because <laughs> she talks about how she went and it was good for her
0: yeah and she says are you just are you just waiting for it to blow over
2: Yes that's Fair. 100% yeah, that's, what he's that's doing. exactly what he's doing that is that is page one of the Mark Green playbook, my dude. <laughs> No. sit back, have a pint, wait for this all to blow over.
1: Excellent.
2: Uh, but then we get our next patient, a uh, gentleman by the name of Julio Echevarria, who passed out in a cab line at the Bismarck Hotel. I Chicago. don't know.
1: I liked it. we both looked at Lizzie. Right. <laughs> I'll look it up. I'm looking it. I
2: got it. It's a, it's a hotel in Chicago. Uh, Julio here is played by actor Efren Figu- Figueroa who appeared in stuff like Drug Wars, The Cocaine Cartel, and Star Maps, and Modern Family, which is just an all-over-the-place filmography. Uh, give that one a look. But he did, have, did have like a really uh, familiar-looking oh. face.
1: Oh, so this is actually, this got turned into the hotel that my mom and I love to stay at. Uh, it was converted, after the fact, into the Allegro Royal Sinesta Hotel. Oh, but right. it, is, it is a historic hotel downtown, fun fact. There I love go. that hotel. It's very beautiful. Everybody should go look at it while they're here. There you Sorry. go. Go on.
2: Uh, well, you then go back to Susan working on the inmate and getting him sutured up. And uh, she's examining his uh, stab wounds and says, whoever did this didn't want to kill you or you did it yourself. Maybe misplaced your get out of jail free card. And she, he says, you're the first woman I've talked to in 14 months. <laughs> I like Su- I love Susan's deadpan. Up. Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> We learn that uh, our inmate here is on death row, scheduled for execution this coming June, and says, uh, "At least, uh, at least I know how and when and where. Not like all these Saps who never get a chance to say I'm sorry or goodbye." And he asks her if they can keep him there a little bit longer so that he doesn't have to go back to jail right away. And that's where we get our first real appearance of the guard where he comes in and says that he'll straighten him out after he sees Mr. Kenny uh, grab Susan's arm as she tries to move away. And I wish I felt anything about this story. (laughs) Like, as I'm reading it, I'm like, on paper, this sounds good. But when I watched it, I felt absolutely nothing. Like, there's just no chemistry whatsoever between Susan and this inmate. And this inmate doesn't have the, like, uh, he he just doesn't have it. Like, he just doesn't have the oomph to get this storyline over the top for me.
1: That... That guard is still absolutely reprehensible, though. The rest of it might not land, but I hate that guard. Oh,
2: sure. Yeah, no, for sure. But again, I, I feel like we've I I, I want to have somebody pointed out for me the specifics because I feel like we've seen almost this exact thing play out before where we've had a guard be abusive to a patient.
1: Oh, I'm sure at least four of our listeners will let us know after this episode airs. But um, then we find out Julio was trying to get to his daughter's wedding and he says for them not to call her daughter and ruin the day. And Cece has tested positive for chlamydia and he asks if it's okay to take the antibiotics with the protease inhibitors, right? Protease? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Something like that.
1: Yeah. Inhibitors because he's HIV positive. And Carter's like, oh, well, does Aisha know? And he's like, no. So like, she's, no, why would she? Uh, but then Carter goes in to talk to Diamond, tell him he's HIV positive too, Carter suggests that Aisha needs to be tested as well. And this is where diamond drags Aisha out and punches Cece as they head out because Cece's is trying to tell him like, no, you got to get like, you got to look at this. You got to take care of this.
0: I believe he says you got to stop fronting dog. Oh my God.
1: I wasn't going to put it in refer, the awful... refer back
2: to the picture, refer back to the picture. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm keep that face. Used... Keep that face in your mind as you're remi- a, <laughs> being reminded side, of all this horrible s- dialogue.
1: Aside from nasty booty, just because it was so glaring, I'm not for the most part gonna do direct quotes for the rest of this just because it's like it if we yeah. knew if we knew there had been more black writers in the room, I might, but it just feels like it's an awful caricature at this point well and, I'm not and gonna... it,
2: it feels to me it feels a little on the nose too of just it's a little emblematic it's it's purely coincidental, but it's just a little emblematic of like you know uh like. We just lost Benton, like, last episode or episode before. So, like, you know, like, this is – we're entering in – and Clio too, for that matter. So, like, a, a big chunk of the, the diversity of the cast has just walked out the door. And, like, it's a little bit of an unfortunate coincidence that one of the first episodes after that happens is this, like, f- basically a caricature episode. And it's yeah. just – it's really bad timing.
1: Now, please, listeners – Correct us if we're wrong on this, because I would be happy to be educated if y'all are like, no, this isn't as bad as we think it is. Share. But from where we're looking, this looks pretty dicey.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of things that are dicey, uh, let's go to our first audio clip here. Carrie
3: is up in Romano's office. Enter. Ah, Carrie. Your response time is impressive, as always. I
4: didn't know that we had a meeting. You
3: remember Dr. Chen?
4: I'm on shift, Robert.
3: Dr. Chen would like to be reinstated.
4: We're fully staffed at the moment, but if something opens up, I'll keep you in mind. I'm not asking you to consider it. It was your choice to step down. I've changed my mind then. Oh, I'm sorry that only with hindsight you've decided that I didn't sep- decide anything. You decided I was expendable. I'm not the doctor that blew out that man's aorta. No. You're the doctor who wasn't there. You were reprimanded for making a mistake, but rather the only than mistake I made it, was allowing you, you to ran sacrifice ran away me. in anger, like you did to easy. save your own Ladies. ass.
3: I want to see a good catfight, I'd watch the view. Let's try to keep this civil.
4: I respect your abilities as a doctor, but the position's already been filled.
3: We're prepared to file suit unless that and two other conditions are met. Dr. Chen's record needs to be expunged and an official statement of correction attached to her file. We're trying not to tarnish any more reputations here. I
4: don't respond well to threats. Dr. Weaver. No, you know what? You can't screw up and then whine about being mistreated. Jing Mei, you need to grow up.
1: Uh, so, first off, since both of these women get such strong feedback that they're, um, harpies and... Bitchy and controlling and arrogant and bossy and I could go on. I need to ask for the people who feel that way about both of these women. Who who do they feel is in the right in this argument, or is it just Romano for saying, "Ha ha, Catfight!" Like, just...
2: there's one of those sweating bullets uh, button memes yeah. like brewing Cause, here. <laughs> like,
1: because I just I watch this scene and I can see all of those straw man arguments that we see coming mm-hmm. out here. About both of their characters. But it's like no. Chen is acting. Advocating for herself after she realized. She was wronged. And Carrie is acting in severe self-preservation. Like we know is her weakness.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: like. I I think it's a great performance from both of them. But mm-hmm. when we were watching that. I was just sitting there going. Mm-hmm. What you gonna
2: do now? <laughs>
1: who's. who's <laughs> Yeah, just like this is this is literally one of those pedestal moments for both of those actresses, where I can see people forming those arguments, and I'm like, but if it's both of them, who do you pick? So yeah. sorry. Also, enter.
2: Yeah, I love that he's he sort of made a bit out of that. Which, uh, but I will say though, outside of that one moment, even Romano feels like he's a little bit phoned in this week. Of just like yeah. that that line of just like, ladies, if I need wanted to watch a catfight, fight, I'd watch the View. I was like. That joke needed another pass. Like, let's though, let's take another pass at that on the script. We don't need to. That that felt like a first draft joke.
1: Though I do love his line where he's like, Carrie, punctual as always.
2: Yeah, it's just the whole thing. It just feels well, like it's a little phoned in.
1: Well, that he's alluding to the whole page. Sure.
2: So, yes. Yeah. No, I, that I get. But uh, that's the joke. That's the joke. Uh, we go, then go back to the world's most just. I uh, wish we didn't storyline. Uh, CC asks if uh, Diamond tested positive, and here's here comes the twist. Uh, turns out that they were screwing around. What gays in my ER? Uh, it wasn't gay though, because CC only bottomed. It asked. Uh, I've already forgotten the the names here. Diamond, Diamond asked Diamond to wear a condom anyway. To Diamond, it wasn't sex because he isn't quote gay. Only does guys because women get so stressful. I like how they manage to misunderstand both black people and gay people all in the, one. I will
1: say there are some closeted people who are doing such mental gymnastics that they do think that. Sure, way. and
2: yeah. I, and the whole the whole theme of this episode is denial, but yeah. it's it's just like
1: it's just a lot.
2: It's baby's first denial, though. Like, it's this whole yeah. episode is, like, just, it's denial in the most, like, freshman year English kind of way. Like, there's there's yeah. very little nuance to this episode. But it's all we, just kind of...
1: Sh- we should note for this, though. Cece is gay. He does identify yes. as gay. Yes, he does. So, like, yeah.
2: He does. But I, it just each storyline has an element of denial to Absolutely. it.
1: Absolutely.
2: But uh, CZ had been hoping that Diamond would come around and that they would eventually be in a real relationship. Uh, Carter tries to (laughs) – Jesus Christ. Talk about life imitating art here as Carter very clumsily tries to explain the difference between DL and in the closet to Abby and uh, does a great job of illustrating the mental gymnastics. But it does feel a little bit like the writer speaking to the audience of, like (laughs) – Carter's clumsy explanation to Abby is also the writer's clumsy explanation to us. And it's just – this episode this, – maybe this episode is a down-low masterpiece because, like, maybe it's, it's so bad that I'm in denial about how bad it is. Uh. <sighs> but uh, we then see Abby uh, uh, over uh, – running into and seeing Carrie examining Joyce's ankle uh, and says that she heard it on wheelie shoes in the apartment in case she needed a reminder that we have now firmly entered the early aughts. Uh, wheelie shoes are a thing. Uh, she and, uh, Abby are in an exam room alone, uh, getting, uh, checking out her x-rays, uh, doesn't look like her ankle is broken, she's gonna need some help bearing weight and getting around, uh, and then this is where we get a little bit of insight from Joyce about the whole situation, she says, you know, it's not all him, I give as good as I get, and, well, Abby's like, well, I don't see him sitting around in an ER needing x-rays, and this is where Abby tries to gently suggest that maybe she see a social worker, We'll see how that goes.
0: All right, now let's go to our next audio clip here. Romano has some words for Weaver.
4: And if a patient with the same history and exam presents again tomorrow, I expect you to order the workup I requested today. Do you understand?
3: Yes, ma'am. Dr. Weaver, glad I caught you. You can go away now. I was going to have you paged, but I couldn't be sure you'd be wearing your pager.
4: Robert, you're not going to be intimidated by these baseless accusations.
3: Oh, they have someone on record, Carrie. About what? Some waitress at that dump across the street said that you were in there looking for your pager the night Shen and Maluchi killed that guy. It's an important detail, don't you think? Robert. I don't need to hear it, Carrie. No explanation, no spin, just fix it. Fix what? All she wants is an attending position with standard pay scale and a personal apology from you.
4: No, I, I can't do that.
3: Well, it's a first time for everything. I
4: wouldn't have any kind of authority over her.
3: We've settled with this dead kid's family. I am not going to open it back up again because you have a management problem created by your own negligence and deceit. She's not interested in taking down you or the
2: hospital. All she wants is her job back. Give it to her today. Super glue that pager to your forehead if you have to. Okay, that, one, that scene was better. Like, he, yeah, he, that scene was he, much better. He's improved. <laughs>
1: 100%.
2: I also think that's the first time we've ever seen him and Galant interact. And it's it's mm-hmm. my f- you, can th- you, you, you can go away now. You can go away
1: now. So good.
0: Uh, At least you won't miss your cue when you're doing, if you're Shreve Atkins in that scenario. That's very
1: true. Like, oh, <laughs> I can leave. Uh, but then Julio's daughter shows up in her wedding dress looking for him, and we find out Mr. Kinney is crashing. He has new bruising from the guard straightening him out. A busted rib punctured a lung, and Carrie goes to put a uh, chest tube in, and Susan says they need consent to which Mr. Kenny obviously is not consenting. Um, so yeah, this just is going to keep going. This is only going to get worse, you guys.
2: <laughs> which is honestly a synopsis for the episode. This is just going to keep going. It's it's going to keep getting worse. We're going to keep going.
0: Yeah. Uh, we're going to keep going, though, with some Carter, uh, Carter and Father time at a bar in Midway Airport. So uh, Was it Midway? Yeah, I think you said it was Midway. All right. Anyway, let's listen
3: Sorry, I was looking for a parking place. Hey, you want a drink? I'm uh, boarding. I should be boarding now. Oh, no, thanks. So what's so urgent? Nothing, really. I was just checking in. So how's the new place? Sparsely furnished, but there's uh, something to be said for that. For sparseness? Oh. clarity. I mean, if I knew your mother was moving into the house, I would have taken some of the New York furniture. Yeah, she mentioned to me that she doesn't have your new number. Oh. You should give her a call. Check in. Why? You were married to her. She wants to negotiate. I don't know when she started looking at life the way other people read the stock reports, but uh, it's over. I don't think she shares that assessment. You're her ambassador now? No. I'm just suggesting you take time to make sure this is what you want. I do, thanks to you. Me? Mm, I was part of this lie, this illusion. We were living in order to hold it together. It took losing dad and thinking about what you said to make me see that uh, I was lost. Can't find my way back with her. I don't know. I've never, ever seen her reach out like this before. That's my flight. Careful, John. She's an emotional vampire.
0: Three things. First off, She's an she's an emotional vampire just makes me think of the of the uh the energy vampire from what we do in the Shadows, the T V yep. series. Yep, yep, yep. Uh two, this was clearly filmed before nine
2: eleven.
1: Yep. Like this or, or was it was at awful.
2: least conceived. It was it's written in a in a definitely written in a pre nine eleven world, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. So I, although I wouldn't put it past John Carter, MD, with all of his riches to just buy a random plane ticket. I think, to, doesn't
2: he do that at some point? Or somebody uh, yeah, Somebody that does that. Yes.
0: It
1: does become a common trope later on to like yeah. buy a ticket to get to see somebody at a gate. But I here he didn't, at least that right. we know of. So.
0: Yeah. Um, and three, I have so much anxiety when he says, oh yeah, I boor- uh, said so my plane's yeah, yeah, yeah. boarding now. I should be boarding. You're still at the As, bar. And he's still at the bar and hasn't just
1: not at his gate waiting to board. Right. Yeah,
2: my dude, you should have you should have been at your he's... gate for three hours by now.
1: A you had
2: to you had to go find the gate, make sure the gate actually exists, and then you go out and search of snacks.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, see me and Lizzie all day Tuesday <laughs> this week. Oh my god, we were how early were we at the airport on say. on Tuesday? We were like
0: four, four hours four early. Hour, yeah, I was four gonna hours say early you, just out of. We, that's when our ride would take us there
2: you're you're ta- you're listening to three people who are like nauseatingly compulsively early to the airport i'm i have arrived at the airport for flights i don't know that i'm taking yet like i am already <laughs> there like i, I when i emotionally, go emotionally you're already there yes every single every single time i have to get take a plane anywhere i always prep for it as though I am flying the week after 9-11 and it's going to take me nine hours yep. to get through yep. security hundred percent. and it's I have to be at the airport at 5 a.m. for a 3 p.m. flight
1: I organize my backpack in order of what I'm going to have to take out at TSA to just make oh, yeah. it easier yeah. um this is in comparison to Jake who right. Doesn't even know when your fucking flight is for your vacations. He doesn't.
2: The man has never arrived at an airport. He just looks around at some point and realizes that he's at his gate. Like he just—it's—it is unclear how he arrived there. He just sort of apparates at the gate. It's, and it's is fully who, prepared.
1: Someone who loves him and is excited for a trip, getting his ass there with him, just like. <laughs> We love you, Jake. But it's just—I don't. It's just so funny because the three of us are such neurotic assholes about it. And yeah. he's like, "Yeah, I haven't even looked at our itinerary yet, Jake."
2: Yeah, you cut to Lauren with the the subtitle screams internally, like just...
1: that parakeet that's just <laughs> looks in disgust,
2: visible disgust.
1: <laughs> yep. Okay. Sorry. No. Anyway. Yeah.
0: I mean it's all that stuff is probably more interesting than the contents of this conversation anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I love that the dad is just like, Oh, by the way, it's your fault.
2: Yeah. Right. He already has yeah. He already has big, like, middle aged divorced dad energy coming off of him already. Like it's like he's shedding his skin and is just become ugh. becoming a dude who wears like Hawaiian shirts and hangs out in Vegas and like it just ugh. like it just ugh. They have we talked enough about how well cast Carter's parents are, both in terms of like physical appearance and the like, just kind of overall grossness of their personalities. Yep. Uh, he's just leave, living that single life and loving
0: it, dude. right? Like he's just yeah. he's single and ready to mingle, right? You
2: can almost see his Tinder profile. You can almost Stop like it. flesh it out.
1: Stop it.
2: Uh, like he's got a hat that everyone knows Jesus is a bad Christ.
0: hat. Hey, hey.
2: But he swears by the hat.
0: Daniel, give him some credit. It would be whatever Tinder Platinum or Tinder Gold oh, yeah. or whatever the helmet is that they – <laughs> Tinder
1: Vibranium. <laughs>
2: T- Tinder Wakanda. <laughs> nope,
1: nope, nope.
0: Anyway, we're going to steer right back into oh, what God. happens next, Daniel. Yeah,
2: Mark tells uh, – he's talking with Julio's daughter, who I don't think we mentioned when – oh, we did. that. She shows up in her wedding dress. Yeah. yeah. So, like – and this is another thing I don't like about it, like, this this episode is that, again, it's all very surface level, it's all very um hollow and, like, first semester English writing, but, like, so she shows up in this wedding dress, and, like, th- th- this whole story, not that they've never had a storyline in an episode before that was an obvious sort of, like, parallel or metaphor for something that was happening in one of the principal characters' lives, But rarely does it feel so on the nose as it does in this storyline where, you know, Mark tells Julio's daughter that that he's had a pretty big heart attack and he's probably going to need surgery. And she, you know, talks to him about, well, he's been out of my life for six years and she didn't know that he was planning on showing up today at her wedding and. She, You know, Mark is listening to this whole conversation, and you can practically, like... It's practically written on his forehead. It's like, this is gonna be me and Rachel one day. Like, it's just, like... Th- it's so, like, clumsy, like, caveman writing. Like, it's just like, this is a metaphor. Like, uh, okay. I get it. Mark's a little nervous about the ongoing uh, dynamic between him and his daughter. Got it. I think I understand the motivations. So, like... and And it's just like, these two characters don't matter. These two characters could be anyone and you know so she says something like oh he didn't care when i called him from wichita begging him to let me come home okay whatever like the storyline is just so like on the nose (sighs) but uh we we then go from there we see susan with the inmate says that he was fine when she left the room and that it was you know must have been something that the guard did you know while she was gone and uh while they're talking uh discussing things out in the hall we hear a really upsetting crash and we see miss go back into the trauma room and see that mr kinney has flipped his gurney uh, and hit his head pretty good uh and i forget who says this line but carrie. Uh, uh, carrie says that he's a death row inmate attempting suicide he can't have a dnr which that's I, so fucked up right I, w- I would like to know the legalities uh, involved with that
1: that's so fucked up
0: all right, and then uh, gayer news. Uh, Yay. Sandy's out in the hall to chat with Carrie. She came to see Marty from the thirty-eight, and I guess he in- got injured yesterday or something like that, something off-screen. Abby tries to tell Carrie about Joyce's domestic violence thing, but Carrie blows her off to talk to Sandy. Have you ever noticed in the show just how much people just like interrupt <laughs> constantly, con- like interrupt people constantly? I'm not saying SCT. I'm saying.
1: Oh, like, S.T.T. too. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: that's fair. Uh, but yeah, I, I, people will just like talk, go up and talk to someone. Like they're not like they're not just engaged in a heated conversation with another person. But it's for the drama. That's, that's Abby here, and then Chen shows up to yell at Carrie too, of course, naturally. And San, uh, Sandy walks away, and they're having a fight about her not being out of work and whatever, and then just grabs her and gives her one of the most passionate kisses you will ever see in your entire life right in front of
2: everyone
1: yep that she does
2: how does that how does that sit with uh, particularly the the not me contingent here I don't I don't want to put labels on it but like the you know
1: so I'll say this in reality um as much as we'd like to say, yeah, Carrie should be out anyway. Great. This is awesome. Really, it's kinda shitty of Sandy to out her like this. Like
0: as someone has who has been forcibly outed at work before. Yeah. It's not great, Bob. Yeah, no,
1: that's really like, yeah, Carrie, quote, should be out for the sake of the story and she should, you know, whatever. But in reality, um, it's rarely that cut and dry. Right. People have to come out on their own time because of, you know, sometimes it's safety circumstances. Sometimes, like, there's plenty of reasons, valid reasons why people might be in the closet. Especially
0: in 2002. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: especially in 2002. And unfortunately, becoming so again in 2023, there are plenty of valid reasons for somebody for their own safety or whatever to still be in the closet. So as much as we're like, yeah, gay kisses, woo! Um... It's also, in reality, no, this was a really shitty thing to do. Yeah. Like, we can think, oh, how romantic. But no, this was this was not okay.
0: But yay, but yay gay kisses. But yay
1: gay kisses from two cute ladies, but also really shitty. Am I right, Lizzie? Okay. I have spoken for all queers. <laughs> it say. is. The council has is, spoken. The council of, Lore, of, of Lolo has spoken.
0: Please, let's get a little closer if you want. Hi.
1: Hi. Okay, um... Lizzie, how'd you rate that kiss, though?
0: Judges, give it an eight.
1: Okay. Cool. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm just just thinking about it. Uh, But then, complete tonal shift, we go to Abby, who brings Joyce an escape kit and a little paper bag. Uh, It's got money, medicine, phone numbers, and anything she might need to get out of the house in a hurry. Uh, she's like, oh, just so you feel safe. So you have it. She puts it in one of the plastic, like personal belongings bags. And Joyce says, oh, I don't need that to feel safe in my home. And then at that moment, Adele shows up to talk to her. And Joyce is like, I didn't want to talk to a social worker. And Abby's like, can you just talk to her for a few minutes? Um, and Mark then tells Abby to take the phone because a kid named Ricky is going to call and hold the phone up from the church vestibule. No idea what this was for, but okay. And it's for the uh, the,
2: the father the and the yeah, father and the daughter.
1: Oh, thank you. Because I was just like, what the fuck <laughs> is this? I just it did not connect for me. Um and then Connie asks Abby if she saw the kiss, and she's like, Oh, me neither, but I heard it was steamy.
2: I, I like I don't remember if I grabbed this listener response or not, but I do like how somebody pointed out that they brought Connie in strictly for gossip. Like, uh, yep. like the nurses, other than Malik, haven't really gotten to do it. Which brings, which reminded me as I was watching this episode, when was the last time we saw fucking Lydia? I feel like it has been years, it's been, yeah,
0: it's been
2: since literally. the last time. It's
1: been seasons, probably. Right?
2: Like, I I should have looked up to see when her last on-screen appearance was because, like, holy shit, it feels like we're we're firmly into the like minimal nurse usage era, and it sucks. Um, I miss
1: Lydia. But it, but
2: it was nice that they they, re- they saw this little bit in the writing and they were like, this feels like a Connie moment. Like, this feels like something that Connie would be involved in.
0: Anyway, let's uh, go to our next audio clip here. Carrie has a little bit of a talk with Chen.
2: Your rehiring will
4: necessitate the scaling back of the hours of others, so don't be surprised if your return is not met with open arms. Oh, I'm sure they'll look to you for any scheduling complaints. You start tomorrow at 7. A.M.? P.M. Hmm. You're putting me on overnights. Under the circumstances, I don't think you're in any position to complain about your schedule. You know that's not true, Carrie. So let's stop lying, okay? I'm getting my job back with the following conditions. I didn't agree to any conditions. I'm returning as an attending. I expect shift equity and equal pay. I'll report to more experienced faculty, but not to you. We both know what you did here. Yes. And we know what you did, too. So while we're being truthful, let me just say, I'm not the one with blood on my hands. If you were a more thorough
2: doctor, you wouldn't have needed me there in the first place.
0: Damn.
1: Again, pick your fighter. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, you know, I feel bad saying it because, like, it, it is, I think, probably... This conflict is, I think, probably the highlight of this episode. Like, it's probably the the one thread through line that, like, I don't completely just kind of fall flat on. Um, yeah. But it also, again, going back to what I said earlier in the episode about a lot of the threads in this episode feeling a little copy and pasty, this does feel like a little bit of a rehash of Carrie versus Genie. Like, this yep. this feels mm-hmm. like Carrie versus Genie 2.0. And, like, I know it's different circumstances, and I know it's, like, it's slightly different. But it also feels a little bit the same at the same time. So I don't know.
0: Well, of course it's different, Daniel. Chen is Chinese and Genie was black. All the differences. <laughs> both in the
2: world. of both of them are minorities. They get an unfair amount of hate from the fandom. Anyway, uh <laughs> we, then, we then see a little bit of gossip going on as uh, Yosh is uh talking with Malik, trying to say that the kiss could mean anything. And uh, probably trying to have Carrie's back in case she didn't want to be outed. And Malik replies back with not that kind of kiss. And it's a nice little bit of unspoken c- continuity with with Yoshi's character that Yoshi openly gay. But like they never really like go out of their way to address it. Like they right. just kind of like will occasionally remind you in ways like this of like, oh, yeah, there's a gay nurse that's just like in the ER all the time. And it's fine.
1: Yeah, and, like he, and people stand up for him when patients are shitty about it right? whatever. But, like, yeah, I definitely thought this was Yosh trying to have some kind of solidarity and maybe have her back in case she didn't yeah. want. Yeah, and,
2: and that they would never, like, go down the road of, like, making Yosh a caricature either. Like, they never go... They yeah, never, 100%. They never, like, make him fucking... What's his name from Will and Grace? Like, they, they never, like... Jack. Yeah, like, they, they never have him be just, like, oh, my God, that guy. Like, there's just... You, they just let him be a person at, who happens to also be gay, like it's. See, you can do nuance, not in this episode, but you can. Uh, don't
1: don't talk to me about nuance right now, Daniel. Just don't. Nuance is a, is a salty word for me at the moment. Uh,
2: we then go over, see, Susan says Mr. Kinney is going to be executed anyway. Uh, she's saying all this in the context of him being stuck on a vent uh, in a coma. So
1: so $4,000 a day to keep him alive until his execution date. Good
2: to know this had the worst possible outcome. Uh, we then see Aisha showing back up to talk to Carter. Uh, and, uh, as they go off to get her tested, uh, Malik and Carrie are left behind at the desk and Malik keeps side-eyeing Carrie and she finally calls him out on it.
0: We go down to the quote unquote river, uh, where Mark and Rachel are walking or quote unquote walking. <laughs> um, yeah, the green screen is,
2: it's their shiny the... new toy. Let them play the, with the it. The rail,
1: the rail was convincing. The handrail the hand they used looked like the river walk rail. Okay,
0: but the rest of it is <laughs> not. looks green, looks really shitty. Um, but Mark says, I missed too many things in your life to let you leave angry with me. I'm not going to pass you off when things get rough. Aww. And
1: Wait, can I do it? Yeah, go for it. I don't want to be treated like a kid. I don't want
0: to be treated like an old man.
1: Meaningful look
2: meaningful look. Stupid hat. <laughs> it's
0: not like she's going to commit her biggest mistake ever next
2: episode. I wonder if the hat was green screened. Do we think?
1: No. She's really wearing real th- hat.
2: that that hat's really she's really wearing that hat.
1: Uh, yep, um but then Brian shows up to get Joyce and Abby says her ankle is fine. Uh, And I want to note, Abby meets Brian, like, closer to the doors, not in the room where Joyce is. And Brian apologizes. Oh, I'm sorry you got pulled into our drama. We can get loud sometimes, whatever. Abby's like, oh, it's none of my business. Like, she's clearly just trying to deflect. She wants no part of any conversation with this man. But she does try to stall him from going into the exam room just in time as Adele wheels out. So, like, he doesn't overhear that conversation at all. And as they're leaving... Uh, they're like, oh, we can get whatever you want. She goes, well, I want a cheeseburger. Um, <laughs> No, how sweet. And then Abby tries to have her back and is like, oh, don't you, isn't this yours? Don't you need this? And it's the plastic um belongings bag with the escape bag in it. Like, again, just trying to be supportive and give her another out if she wants it. And Joyce says, no, I have everything I need with me. So, okay. <sighs> unfortunately... As is the case, Joyce will be back, and again, it takes time to disentangle yourself from this stuff, but it's just, it's one of those things where just, like, watching any addiction storylines or whatever, it's so easy to look at it and go, just do the thing! Right. Just do it! Like, yeah. so, I think that's where a lot of the frustration from this storyline comes from, is that, to us, it looks so simple. Right. To us, it's just, take the bag, leave with Adele
0: right, let's go to our last audio clip here. Uh, Carrie shows up at the firehouse to confront Sandy.
1: Who are you? You got to call, Carrie. No, I mean, who
4: the hell are you? I live my life without apology. apology. Yeah, that's right, your life. You make choices for your life, you don't make choices for mine. I didn't choose to be lied to or have my time wasted. I never misrepresented myself. No, you just pretend to be something you're not. Lopez, let's go. You know what? This is my employees, my colleagues, my workplace. I choose to keep my private life to myself. You can't separate who you are from what you do, That is not your decision to make. I stand up and face it every day. You want the life without the hardship. You don't get one without the other. Not with me, anyway. So you did this out of spite to teach me some kind of lesson? I did you a huge favor. You just don't know
1: it yet.
2: Sandy, the show takes place in Chicago. I did you a huge favor. Not Brooklyn. This is Brooklyn. I did you a huge favor.
0: My name is Eddie Kingston. <laughs> Beautiful. <sighs> That's totally my my spot on Eddie Kingston impressle- uh, wrestler impression.
2: <sighs> I'm sure his mother will be very proud. Ah, uh, uh, Carrie's right. You know, I don't know what else. Yeah, what Carrie's more do you want right. me to say? Like, I don't know what. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we we. Talked about this right. before. Right. Uh, we the, the other, yeah.
2: the the only other like notable thing about this scene, uh, other than Lisa Vidal's questionable accent work, is uh, that, that apparently this is the final credited appearance of the fire captain, Captain Daniker, who has been with us uh, in one form or another, I think, since Exodus back in season four, uh, and. Um, I didn't spot him in this scene, but this is the only conceivable spot where he would have shown up, but he's listed in the, the cast credits for this episode. So one of our little background characters just fading off into the sunset. Bye. Uh, we then go to our final scene of the episode, and it's a doozy. Uh, Carter's oh boy. Carter's back at home. Uh, Mom is uh, seemingly in, in the middle of replacing a bulb in the chandelier when he walks in, and uh, she breaks something on there, one of either one of the bulbs or a crystal or something something and she's clearly buzzed as she gets down the ladder. And I <laughs> I had this moment while I was watching it where I was like I was like, God, she just like the way this I was like the way this actress portrays her, I was like, she she sounds like she's on Xanax like every time she says that. and then like two seconds later it's revealed that she's been taking Xanax. So a plus to uh the actress here for for pulling that off. Um, I always forget is it Mary McDowell or Mary McDonald was it what is her last name like it's I don't it's, know. it's Mary something but I always forget her last it's Mary Mick something the
0: lady from ballstar yeah That's
2: and Independence thing. Day don't forget she's the president's <laughs> wife damn it uh well,
0: she's the president in, in ballstar
1: anyway anyway
2: uh she, she got drunk after being at a cancer benefit on uh Millicent's behalf she's so fucking waspy god damn it like and
1: and she, you know, being around all those cancer kids right. just brought it all back. Couldn't
2: handle it. She got in between an argument with uh, Gamma and her PT, uh, and she says, my my presence was hindering her recovery. If she needed a caregiver, I'd be the last person she'd call.
1: You kind of <laughs> sound like Mr. Burns when you do this.
2: Well, she kind of sounds like Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns on Xanax. Uh, he asks if she's taking something because her pulse is low and weak. This is where she reveals the Xanax part. Uh, he has her go in and you know vomit i was trying to think of what the word is self-purge like what, what whatever the medical term is oh, for um, when they
1: oh they force oh, you to throw up oh my god no hold on uh i'm trying to think because ipecac is one and i can't think of what it's called yeah
2: but so he he goes in there to make her throw up and asks how many she took uh very gross prop work with some nice uh puke flourish on the rim of the toilet very attention to detail uh we that's why we love the show yeah right (laughs) come for the clumsily written minorities stay for the fake puke uh we find out that gamma has asked her to leave and then she drunkenly asks him do you want me to leave john and i failed your brother and then i failed you and Carter, in the most just like tired son way, and is just like I, he was tired before we even left for France. It delayed his diagnosis by less than a month. Wouldn't have made a difference. And we fade to black.
0: And I give this episode a six.
2: Yeah, this episode. I mean, okay, so
0: this was not a good episode. It, no, it
2: wasn't. And this this last scene, I I don't want to like complete. I know I'm I know I'm like poking a lot of fun at, at the performance and everything, but like it's a good attempt at trying to salvage some kind of like emotional depth out of this episode. That is extremely surface level. Like I'm actually really, really disappointed in the quality of the writing of this episode of how amateurish it is and how on the nose everything is and how like, it feels like a first draft. Like it feels like a first attempt at telling a, a story centered around denial and Okay, like, this is not bad for a first draft, but, like, let's take another two or three passes at this and tighten it up and, and I don't know, maybe add in a little bit of subtlety and maybe, you know, not do the whole uh, gay rapper storyline quite so clumsily. I don't know. Just, like, a lot of it is um, it, it is very disappointing, very surface-level writing. And you know the stuff that does work in it, you know, like like this little there's some elements of this last scene here that work really well. The stuff between Carrie and Sandy, I think has a lot of potential in it 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 ultimately gets dragged down by the stuff that doesn't work. and you know the 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 Julio thing is so like token and surface level the we've we've talked a lot about the the rapper storyline and and it's sort of like inherent shittiness. And then, like I said, the Susan storyline is just completely like an utterly hollow like I feel nothing about that storyline and I you you know that we love to get up and rant on a soapbox about about cops abusing their positions of authority so like this seems like a tailor made soapbox kind of patient storyline I felt nothing I walked away from that just feeling completely empty this episode is just a total fucking stinker
1: yep you guys both nailed it I'm good
0: thank you Daniel for some some summarizing (laughs) while I can talk, um, both Lauren and I's thoughts. Uh, but Lauren, what do the listeners have to say about it?
1: All right, let's see if I can do this. Daniel, I might tap in. Uh, David L says, one thing that always bugs me with Weaver in this episode, and it's not what people think, is that she should have put her foot down and never let Abby help Joyce, especially after Abby reveals she is Joyce's neighbor. It could lead to HIPAA violations. Hundred and fifty percent. Yes. um, at Zoe Trope says, Am I the only one who thinks Chen is being a bit of an ass? She takes zero responsibility for what she did to that patient. Sure, Carrie should have had her pager and been there, but I also think Carrie's right, even if she's also clearly saving her own butt. As she tells Chen, she shouldn't have needed to call her in the first place. And I know she got scapegoated along with Malucci, and I truly dislike what they're doing with this storyline, but it bugs me that Chen is so smug about all of it.
0: I choose to believe that that's how Chen sleeps at night. Yep. Spent- and Sorry.
1: Also, wow, I'm slow, but I only just understood the title of this episode. Nice. What you were saying?
0: No, it was just, that's what I was... Never mind.
1: Gotcha. Franer W says, Oh, hey, Christina Hendricks. Anyways, good episode with lots of plot development and foreshadowing. So much so that it felt like it was over in 10 minutes. Strong Malik episode with some great looks and even better one-liners. Prisoner to Susan. You're beautiful. Malik, why thank you. Love that it's an episode with gossip. They bring in Connie just for that little interaction with Abby. Always Connie with the T. It's a great scene with Carter and his mother at the end. She gives just the right amount of intoxicated. But this time... But this time round, my attention was drawn to that raggedy toilet roll in the bathroom. (laughs) No way a bashed-up toilet roll like that would be in the Carter household. Looks like it's been knocked about between takes and no one replaced it. And at the full-time dad says, The one storyline I can't get around to liking is the down-low rapper sex triangle. Thank you, Aaron. I'm forever just referring to it as that. Uh, There's only a handful of times when ER portrays black storylines not involving the main cast where they come across authentic. This one in particular feels like a white person wrote this. Jen's back. Yay. And as someone mentioned, I find her arrogance over the entire thing very unsettling. Yes, Carrie left you hanging and that wasn't right, but ultimately Carrie didn't fail to look at an x-ray and detect the Marfan syndrome, push the thrombolytics, and ultimately kill a man. That's on you, Jing Mei. And ah, Sandy... Kissed Sari so good, she caressed your face ever so gently. She couldn't deny that puppy if she tried. But I still think it was kind of messed up to force her to come out publicly on Sandy's terms, not Carrie's. You could argue in hindsight that it allowed Carrie to finally be true to her authentic self, but that, shouldn't, that should have been done on her timetable, not someone else's. Just my two cents
2: going uh to address his point about the the black characters and and authenticity and all that like contrast mm-hmm. contrast this storyline in this episode with i want to say it's in the first five or six episodes of season 1 when they do that storyline with Doug and the young black girl who has tested positive for i think cocaine and he immediately goes in and like mm-hmm. accuses the father and like gets up on his Doug, you know, Doug Ross white knight horse and we get to have, like, some really excellent performances and really poignant, you know, discussion and, and like, work between these two characters. And then, it, of course, by the end of the episode is ultimately revealed that it's his other daughter who is doing drugs and the younger daughter found them in the the older daughter's stuff. And, hmm. like, that's an opportunity where you can portray a storyline featuring people of color that doesn't make them into caricatures and that's that's yeah. where this storyline ultimately fails. It's not that you can't do a storyline about a gay rapper. It's that you can't do this storyline this way with this dialogue looking the way that guy does, and have it come off with authenticity. It just doesn't work.
1: Yeah. No.
0: All right. My head feels like it's gonna explode, so I'm gonna forego the <laughs> the plugs once again. Uh, support us at Patreon, patreoncom Podcast. We love you all, and we will see you next week.